Hi, I'm Esther, and you are listening to the second and last episode of Related Strangers. The motivation behind this podcast was to educate people on sperm donation in general, but specifically identity release sperm donation. Online, there's only recently started to be resources for donor-conceived people. So I hope you find this last installment enlightening and maybe filled with something you didn't already know. Now, on to the episode. Today, I will be speaking with donor-conceived people who have met their half-siblings, their donor, or both. You might be wondering, how can people under the age of 18 meet their half-siblings when on the last episode I talked about how 18 was the magic number where you could get your donor's name? Some sperm banks have registries where siblings can connect as early in life as they want. There are also websites like the Donor Sibling Registry where people can pay to post their donor number in the hopes of connecting with siblings. And, as I mentioned last episode, with the rise of DNA testing kits, people have been discovering their half-siblings more often than ever. Let's talk a little about specifics of donor siblings. I have heard some people abbreviate the phrase donor siblings into diblings, but I prefer the longer version better, so that's what I'll be using. Most countries have laws on how many times someone can donate sperm, but in the U.S., these laws are either non-existent or unenforced. Specific sperm banks, like the Sperm Bank of California and California Cryobank, have limits on how many offspring a donor can have. However, it is possible for donors to lie about if they have donated in other facilities. This is actually an extremely unethical process, as more people who are out there with the same biological father, the greater the chance of inbreeding. Some people have found over a hundred of their siblings, and many times the media becomes fascinated with these stories. There are several online docu-series and articles documenting a large amount of siblings meeting for the first time. There's also a Netflix series called Sisters about a woman who finds out her father, a famous fertility doctor, had been inseminating his client with his own sperm, and she possibly has hundreds of siblings. Of course, these are the extreme cases, but unfortunately, these extreme cases are what the media is saturated with. I wanted to explore more into the average half-sibling relationship, where they are both conceived ethically through a sperm bank with an identity release donor. From what I've found, the dynamic between half-siblings is very different than that with siblings one has grown up with. You feel a deep biological connection to them, but you also don't have a history, so it's a learning and growing experience. I have my own experience with my wonderful half-siblings, but first I wanted to hear from some other people who have connected to their own siblings. First, I talked to Clay, who has discovered 18 siblings in total. Recently, Clay traveled to Australia, where several of her brothers lived. One question I asked every person that I interviewed was, are you happy you came into contact with your siblings? Here is Clay's enthusiastic response. Oh my gosh, I am so happy. Um, I, it was, it was really hard leaving Australia because I felt like, oh my gosh, this sounds so cheesy, but like, you know, something was, was always missing. And then, you know, I kind of found that and, um, and, you know, explaining that 
you know, some something out of, like, a cheesy rom-com, uh, but, like, you know, meeting your brothers, um, I don't have any sisters, actually, um, that was, it was so cool to see, like, kind of the other half of me, um, in a certain light, and, you know, I really feel like they, they completely, because they're part of my family, you know? Many people I talked to seem to echo how Clay felt about meeting her siblings. Biology is a hard thing to deny, and people felt this instant connection. My own half-sister, Jessica, had this to say on the topic of her donor siblings. Yes, I am, I'm very happy. I think, that, um, I think that all of you guys have added a lot to my life, and I'm, I'm really happy because I know that these are relationships that I will have for the rest of my life, which is really nice, which is like very comforting to... I talked with another one of my half-siblings, Jaden. I asked him how he learned he had half-siblings and his feelings on connecting with them. Um, yeah, my mom brought it up. She mentioned something about the registry. And I don't know if she brought it up to tell me about it. I can't remember if she told me, like, you know, hey, there's this thing. Or she mentioned it thinking I knew and I didn't know about it. Um, but I was like, wait, what? Like, I can meet or talk to the siblings before I'm 18? Um, I don't have to wait, you know, for all of it. And she was like, yeah. And so then we, like, looked it up, and we talked about it, and we got on the registry. And um, I, just, I thought that was awesome. I was really excited that that was, uh, that was the thing because I've always wanted to reach out to him. And so knowing that I could reach out to um, siblings before I, you know, before I was 18, that's, that was exciting. I went, when I first learned about it, I was excited, and then reaching out, and then being able, especially these past um, – few years it's been really it's been really nice to because we've been more you know close net we've been skyping we've met and all of that stuff um and i don't know i love you guys and it's awesome to have this like bond with people because it's it's different than anything else um it's not quite the same as a friend but it's not quite the same as a sibling either um it's a little combination of both so i love that and I have a lot of fun hanging out with you guys, and I'm very glad that it was um, that it was a possibility and that it happened. Next, I spoke to Amy, who had found her siblings through ancestry DNA testing instead of through her sperm bank, which didn't have a sibling program. I wanted to learn more about my ancestry, and I knew about the DNA matching features because I joined donor conceived support groups, donor conceived people support groups, um, and people were like, "You need to test your half siblings. Like, you definitely have some out there." And um, I was actually really scared at first. Um, I felt like this weird thing, like, oh, my God, I have people out there like me. And I never, never had that before as I've been an only child. So I didn't know what to expect. And I thought it was going to be super weird. But um, anyway, so I got my ancestry results back. And I had a close family match. And it was really great. My mom had already tested as, like, a Christmas gift for my stepdad. And so I was able to filter my maternal matches from my possible paternal matches. And um, I saw a close family member who was matching on the Jewish side. He didn't match my mom at all or anything. Um, And I found his name, but he had a very common name. It was first and last. And he had been on a month before. But I think he had just gotten his results. And a lot of people don't walk back onto their ancestry after that. So I thought, oh, I hope this person, like, knows their donor conceived um, if I reach out to them. So I emailed him on ancestry didn't get a response it's pretty common so i got a search angel and she 
found two people, I gave her like these requirements. He has to be um, between 20 and 25, because I knew when my donor donated, like the earliest that he donated, um, possibly lives in California. Um, those are really the two things. And she found two people on Facebook, and it was actually one of them I had already seen, but I wasn't sure because we kind of looked alike, but I don't know. And so I messaged him. And then he didn't answer back. <laughs> he hasn't been on Facebook forever. So then I found his Instagram because I'm a creep. So I messaged him on Instagram and he was like, holy crap. Um, yeah, I did take an ancestry test and or a uh, sperm donor baby. And I'm like, yeah, I am. So uh, we were born six months apart. And then I found a sister uh, the day of Thanksgiving. She popped up on my match list. I check every day because I'm obsessed. As you heard, all the people I talked to had a very positive experience with their half-siblings, something I think is a very common experience. But how did these people feel about their donor? Amy was the only person I spoke to who had actually reached the age where she could contact her donor and did so successfully. She told me a bit about the long and often frustrating process. Um, so it was actually a little complicated. Um, so because procreative technologies in Southern California shut down a long, long time ago, they were not the people I had to call. So they sold all of their information of like the current donors they had on file and any previous records to California Cryobank. And then I had to call around there to figure out that my, my donor actually had a different donor number now than was on my piece of paper that I had. And so I found out they added a nine in front of all the procreative tech donors. So I tried calling and I kept getting voicemails of this one woman who I actually did eventually reach out to last year. But when I was 18, I tried calling California Cryobank and I think at the time, the woman who held all the procreative tech records was out of town for an extended, extended period of time. And I remember being really frustrated when I finally spoke with somebody and I threw the phone across the room and I just like gave up and was like, I don't feel like doing this. This is really complicated just to figure out who my father is, you know, and I thought I was going to be able to find him right away. So um, I gave up for like two years and I, I don't know what or I guess three years, um, I don't know what triggered it, but I tried and I was 20, almost 21, so last January, and I just called one day and I got through and they said, okay, they told me I just needed to send my mother's driver's license, my driver's license, and the, uh, the doctor's name who performed the insemination. I sent that over and in a week I was in contact with him. Um, he actually originally wanted us to speak anonymously, so I sent him a very dry email just like who I am what I do what I'm in school for um and so yeah I sent him an email and then he responded back three or four days later and sent me his first name a bunch of pictures whole family history um and then we ended up emailing on a separate email no longer mediated by the uh California cryobank people and that's when he disclosed his like full name and everything and we talked on the phone another week later, and that's how that went. So it was very quick and emotional because sometimes the donors don't update their contact information, and he had been, and it's kind of a miracle that California Cryobank actually updated their records because if, as far as I know from speaking with people online, it doesn't always happen like that. Aside from speaking with her donor through the internet, Amy actually met him last year in person. I contacted him January 2018. Um, he lives across the country in Los Angeles. I'm in Atlanta. Um, and so it was just more of like a, a slow build up to our meet. Um, we were like, oh, we're just going to meet in August. So we met this past August, August 2018 um, in L.A. And I stayed with him and my boyfriend came with me. And it was it was an experience. Very intense. I don't know how to describe it. I think I've just always had 
um, a very strong part of me that wanted to know him. And once I finally got in contact, it felt I felt this wholeness like that I've never felt before in my life because I finally was talking to somebody who wrote like me, who um, looks exactly like me. I mean, there have been times where we've spoken about very emotional stuff, maybe a little more than we should have, like or surrounding all this stuff because I think it was hard growing up without knowing my father. Um, or just knowing a biological parent, it just feels very weird to like piece together parts of your identity. So once I finally got that, I was like, wow, like this is everything I felt like I needed to understand who I was. I just remember I could not wait to meet him because it it just felt like I had been waiting for this my whole life. In terms of people who hadn't met their donor yet, the theme of their feelings was generally curiosity. Here are Jaden's feelings about possibly meeting his donor. I I really want to meet him and or at least contact him in some way. Uh, I think it would be really just interesting. It would be the same way I said the dynamic with us siblings is interesting. I think it would be interesting with him because it's like he's such a big part of our life, but like yet not because we've never met him or talked to him. So it would be interesting conversations that I could have with him. And uh, I'd like to get to know him. So yes, I would definitely like to meet him. When I talked to Clay about this, she admitted she felt some pressure as the oldest sibling to contact her donor and report back to her younger siblings. I definitely think that I am uh, waiting like as soon as I turn 18 because, um, I don't know, I'm a really curious person and so finding out, you know, who half of my DNA comes or roughly uh, is, is really cool for me. Um, and also my all my brothers are so curious as so I feel like um, for me and then I I um, want to do it as soon as possible. We all kind of joke that like you know you're not supposed to kind of tell what what your donor um, is like or really expose any information but they're like dude you, you gotta tell us all because you know I'm the oldest of I want to say 18 so you know I kind of <laughs> I kind of feel a little bit of pressure to, you know, meet him for the very first time so that, you know, I can kind of convey that message to the rest of them. I also asked everyone I spoke to if they were happy that their parents chose an identity release donor. Here is Jaden's answer. Um, I'm glad that my parents chose an identity release donor. I mean, I guess, I mean, so I guess if they hadn't, then it would have never been like a thing. Like when I'm 18, I can... I can, you know, contact him or at least reach out. Um, so maybe it would have just been, that would have been the normal thing, you know, because I would have, but like as long, as long as I've known, as long as I can remember, I've just known like, oh, at my 18th birthday, I'm going to have this opportunity. Um, so I'm glad about that. Maybe if that hadn't been the case my whole life, then maybe it wouldn't matter. But it feels like it matters now having had that um, knowledge all my life. If You know, I'm, I'm glad because I'd like to meet him. I'd like to talk to him and, you know, at least something. It'd be nice because I don't know. It would just be awesome to, to be able to, to be able to talk to him because of what he's done and created and helped you know facilitate with these you know my me my existence and then you guys and and that community and that friendship. Jessica's answer touched on some things relating to anonymity and DNA testing that I spoke about in a greater extent last episode. I mean, I think it's nice. I'd be really sad if he weren't, I guess, to be released because I'm very curious. Although I guess we might have been able to find him on Ancestry. But, um, yeah, I mean, I feel, I, 
I don't feel like that much emotional connection to him, at least. I mean, maybe I have at certain moments, but like, in, I don't think it would feel like any part of me was missing, but I do think that curiosity-wise, it's nice um, to be able to know who my donor is. I I think it definitely creates a choice for us um, where, you know, we can still totally have the option of not finding out or not meeting him if we don't want to, or meeting him, I guess, isn't really our choice. We don't have to find out they don't want to, but we do also have that option. And, of course, like, he consented to that when at the time that he donated. So I think that, I don't know, I, I think that there are a lot more benefits, at least that I see, to this kind of donation than non-identity release, especially in the age of the Internet and all of the genetic, the DNA stuff where you can track your DNA anyway, where I feel like we'd still be able to find out even if he didn't legally release his identity and that would create other issues. When I spoke to Amy about if she was happy about having an identity release donor, she echoed many of my own feelings of anticipation. Um, yes, it impacted me a lot to have um, an identity release donor. I always looked forward to it. I think I've said that already, but I have always, always, always looked forward to it. And it meant a lot to me. Because, I mean, I think lots of people um, in the world who, I guess, don't know identity of their biological parents or for some reason don't have access to them want to know, like, you know, where they come from, who you come from. It's so important to your identity to know who you look like, who you act like, like genetic mirroring, like, you know, your nature is so strong. (laughs) Um, And I've learned that by meeting my donor. Um, And I think if I had had an anonymous donor growing up and I knew that there was absolutely no way, um, I guess, legally that I could find him. I think I would have been really disappointed because, you know, I didn't, I wasn't aware that we were ever going to have like direct to consumer genetic testing. Um, so that was, I guess that, I guess that would have probably shifted my views growing up. I, I did remember feeling even like very young that I was upset that I couldn't know him sooner. Um, that, I don't know, I don't know why 18 is a thing, I just because, I guess just because you're a legal adult, but I don't think it should be that late. I mean, there's a lot that happens in childhood where you, you need to know at least who your parent is. You know, nobody can force you to have a relationship with them, but it, it'd be important to have more than a piece of paper, more than a baby picture, in my opinion. And I, I wish that I had had that growing up. What Amy says here is really important. For some people, they feel extremely empty not knowing who their donor is, even if they're happy with their current family situation. I understand the age of 18 being a logical time to be able to contact your donor, but I also think there should be some sort of program that allows parents, children, and donors to be in contact earlier than 18. By the time you're 18, you have passed your formative years, and essentially, if you've felt the yearning for a biological connection since a young age, you may have been impacted a lot by not knowing your donor. In addition, by the time the offspring turns 18, their donor had donated almost 20 years earlier. In those 20 years, that donor could have changed their mind on wanting to be identity release, which can damage the offspring if they had been expecting contact. As much as I want a program for earlier contact, I don't see that happening anytime in the near future. What is important, though, is for parents of donor-conceived children to understand that their children can feel empty or sad about their donor without it being a reflection on their own parenting style. 
I want to end this episode with something Amy said about growing up donor-conceived and some advice for parents. Is there any parents that listen to this in the future, like recipient parents? I guess just be honest with your child from the get-go. Tell them when they're coming out of the womb. Um, you know, like your kid is going to have questions and it doesn't, it shouldn't threaten your um, parenthood and like the confidence you have in being a parent to your child. You're still their parent. Um but they're allowed to have questions about themselves, and it's just important to support them through all the difficult emotions they go through, because lots of people um, are going to go through that feeling of grief and loss, and I did. I did as a kid, I did as an adult, I did after finding him. It's it's really complicated, um, and uh, something that you can't fathom if you're not experiencing it directly, you know? I guess don't, like, infantilize them forever. Like, yeah, you, you may have wanted them, but they, they grow up to be real people with feelings, um, just, I guess, provide them the language and the support that they need growing up because I didn't know anyone else like me growing up. I had no concepts of how, you know, I, that I had have siblings, how to find them. Um, I didn't know how to refer to myself. And I think knowing that like, you're not, you're more than just a sperm donor baby or a test tube baby, you know, you're a donor conceived person. Like that kind of gives you a solid, uh, foundation to build your identity off of that versus not feeling comfortable having a particular term associated with the way you were conceived. So I know that impacted me a lot and we're, we're evolving. I mean, there's books out there. There are people out there like doing real work like you who are trying to get like the word out about us and spread awareness. So I just think that if there are any parents or just people out there who know someone donor conceived, like provide them the language to um, support them um, and support themselves and make them like let them know that this is a significant part of your identity it's not something to just brush off you know this has been related strangers thank you for listening i highly encourage you to keep learning about this topic even if you aren't donor conceived the donor-conceived community is only growing, and it's important to know more than the extreme cases highlighted in the media. Hope you have a great day! These feet have carried me as far as I will go Across the field to where the wind had ceased to blow That day when sorrow filled the air And all the blackbirds scattered everywhere And you had gone as far as you would go In my reflection you were staring back at me My eyes are mirrors of the dreams you used to see But now I'm fumbling in the dark To where the memories are far apart there I lost the forest for the trees In the gloaming of the day The words are darkening away Take another look There's no more pages in this book The epilogue was written in the dirt The story's at an end it's time to put away my pen and join you by the earth. And there was a tremble in the marrow of my bones, distorted and contorted.
retorted like a worn-out megaphone through the bellow and the bluster I was shaking, I was flustered with a body full of star-crossed chromosomes And through the clamor there emerged a single voice A familiar sound I hadn't heard since I was just a boy my fears were lifted as the echo slowly drifted to the center of the amplifying void And I followed like a child So carefree and so wild Take another look, there's no more pages in this book The epilogue was written in the dirt Stories at an end. It's time to put away my pen and joy.